Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about how therapy shows up in our lives and in our practices. And a topic that we've broached a little bit a couple of times before, but diving a little deeper into today is mental health in the media. And we are joined by our friend Dana Davis-Williams, LMFT and podcast host of Real Psychology. Uh, We've known Dana from our work through the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, served on the board together, and just like an overall very cool person. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're so excited to have you here. Oh my goodness. It's so good to see you, my friends. So the first question that we ask everyone is who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Well, Kurt, thank you so much for that great introduction. I'm Dana Davis-Williams and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist based in California. I'm also an actor and putting out creative content through Real Psychology podcast and also in different, any opportunity that I get to be paid to to act and, and to perform. And I've been doing some writing over the past couple of years as well that I haven't released into the world, but look forward to doing that in the near future. So we often start our episodes asking a question of like, how does this get this wrong? And we do it from a place of, I think this episode's a little bit different in that <laughs> we're, we're blaming the media here. What does the media get wrong about therapy and about mental health? Wow, that's a great question. I, I mean, there's so many things. I think the portrayal of various diagnoses is often dramatized on purpose, but um, sometimes in a socially irresponsible way, the treatment of different disorders does not often reflect what accurate treatment looks like. And so those are the two that come to mind for me, just the portrayal of certain mental health symptoms, and then also the treatment of those mental health symptoms. Do you have an example of like the most egregious one that you've seen as far as really bad portrayals of either the diagnosis or therapy? I didn't think about that one. It's interesting because (laughs) I do, I focus on in my consulting work with filmmakers, I help them before, you know, it's released out there into the world. And so I'm often looking for what's done well and looking and often like, like on our podcast, we talk about the mental health of fictional characters. I feel like you can find mental health anywhere, whether their intention was to portray it 
authentically and with authenticity is not always their aim. But I'm trying to think what comes to mind for either of you of just like really bad portrayals. You know, this is something that a lot of us in this field, we get this unsolicited suggestion of like, oh, this film or this TV show is about therapy. You would like it. And so a lot of us get this experience of everything, like, you know, mm-hmm. depending on, on how long you've been in the fields, you know, you might have started out with like, what about Bob? And then I think that there's a certain generation of therapists that I don't think you could have gone through grad school without watching ordinary people as like part of one of your classes. And that's actually a really good portrayal of it. In Treatment was really good for a season, I think. And then I think that there always ends up becoming kind of this plot device where certain shows just kind of use therapy as like this insight into a character, like a, an unethical action by a therapist that, you know, just moves the rest of the story along. I don't know. Like I, a lot of the ones that come to my mind are like, here was a really good thing. And then character or new writers got added to the show or something that just took a character sideways, like the Sopranos. Um, Prince of Tides. Oh, Prince of Tides. Wow. I remember seeing Prince of Tides as a child and I saw the, you know, that implied rape scene of the child. That was a movie that was watched a lot in my household. And I remember being, that was like the first real portrayal of what rape was. And as a child trying to learn how another child could be raped by an adult, by a grown man, and like trying to process that and make sense of that. So that movie like even now I can feel myself getting a little like anxious just thinking about it. Um, it has a whole different emotional sort of um, history with it to me that I was probably too young to catch on to the unethical nature of a therapist sleeping. I didn't even know that that was a part of the storyline to be honest. <laughs> I just remember that scene where this person broke into the house and like rapes this little girl. It's so interesting because I think there's, I mean, I, we're all different ages. And so for me, it was, you know, I've, I, I remember it as a romance story that I don't remember very well. So mm. how funny, you know, that it's just, it's, there's so all many three. things that we take from it. And, and to me, I guess the, the biggest pieces for, you know, kind of the, the bad portrayals is, is kind of therapists doing things that are very manipulative, manipulative or dangerous or, or that kind of stuff that we have these, that were weird strategic you know, kind of manipulators, you know, that, that take over people's lives or whatever. I mean, it seems like that had an effect on you too, Kurt. Did you have something that you wanted to say about Prince of Tides? Just going to say that I think that where it stands out is like, we, we tend to see bad portrayals a lot easier because those of us who are in our field, like we know so often that like, oh, here's a portrayal of a person with this kind of diagnosis. And it, those of us who have experience working with that diagnosis are like, all right, they're taking quite a few liberties there, but that's just not what this is like at all. I've always been a fan of like thriller movies. So one of the movies that I like as a movie, I hate as a mental health professional is a movie identity that John Cusack and a host of other characters portrayed different identities of a person with dissociative identity disorder. That if you've never heard of it, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. It's as bad as it sounds sort of thing. (laughs) 
But <laughs> these are the kinds of things that a lot of us who are trying to advocate for better representations of mental health in the media point to as like, please don't do it like that. And we tend to see them just continue to make this kind of material. I do think that there are better and better portrayals of mental health in the field. And I think that part of it is the people who are making TV shows, movies, this kind of stuff are more open about sharing their own mental health journeys or how the mental health world has impacted them up into this point in their lives. And people are a lot more open about this content. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think that as we were trying to reflect on where what are some of the really bad portrayals that come to mind, I was thinking of it as a creator and as a therapist, there's this dialectic where, you know, the creator is looking to tell a story and, you know, push a plot. And then also for a lot of creators, they're, they're trying to think of the audience and what's going to be sellable and what will get picked up by a studio. And, and then throughout the whole process, sometimes you'll, you work with a writer who is really passionate about it and they do it justice and it's a more accurate representation. And then it gets to the studio and it gets cut and edited and all these Mm. things. And it's not the original script that they had worked with the consultant on. So I do think there's this balance. And and I really feel that one of the ways that we can see more authentic representation is to have more diversity and more people with mental health background in storytelling in the writer's rooms or becoming creators themselves, because people write what they know. And when you have someone who hasn't lived it writing about it, of course, it's going to be one stereotype after another is their frame of reference. So to Kurt's point, I think when somebody is writing about their own personal experience, or supporting a loved one, being in proximity to a loved one who has a mental illness or is working through things therapeutically, that you get more um, authenticity in the storytelling. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. It's interesting because I think there's opportunities there for folks with lived experience as well as therapists and and therapists can be both. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm just curious from your own experiences, how therapists kind of make that foray because you, you are a creator. I mean, I think that was almost simultaneous with becoming a therapist or maybe even before becoming a therapist, but, but what does that process look like really being able to take the work that you're doing 
as a therapist and and translate that into a sellable piece of film or TV? They're a wonderful question. I think I'm still finding that for Ray. I mean, for me, it's really come at first accepting that I am a creator, that I am an artist. And it took me years to be able to feel confident to say that and embrace that. And, and then from that point, it was sort of following my intuition and being open and saying yes and, and creating. I mean, if you're make something, put something out there, do the work. I guess I think that's the first foray into it because I think a lot of people have ideas like, oh, I thought about this book or I thought about this story, but they won't take the next actionable step to even outline it or just start writing every day. Or if they're, you know, a musician to go play music somewhere. So I think it's being willing to create that art and to do it from a heartfelt, authentic place where there's, you know, willingness to be vulnerable, like bringing some of yourself to your work. Um, And so if there are therapists that have their own journeys that they're willing to start talking about, and that's the other thing for the longest, I felt like as a therapist, I had to hide the fact that I had been an actor, a working professional actor Mm -hmm. beforehand, because I thought, oh, all my patients are going to think that I'm putting on an act with them. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Now, having, you know, been in this field for a long time, in fact, when people do find out it's, um, Sometimes it's a place of curiosity. Other times um, it just makes me, I think, more seem like more of a whole person to them. And so I think there's benefit in that. And I just would encourage if there are any therapists out there that have been feeling intimidated about taking a first step, that any first step is you are foraying into that sort of, you know, melding the two worlds. We're hearing some similarities almost to the way that we talk about building a practice of just kind of being able to take some of these ideas and make them into something concrete and then being able to share that. It's just really fine tuning that down for a particular way of delivering this message. Yes, I would agree with that 100%. And I think that I would not be where I am today as a creator if I hadn't have gone through the process of successfully building a private practice. I've followed a lot of the model of what was successful for me in building my practice for going back into the film and television industry and building something for myself as as an artist. I know you've also been consulting, which may be another first step for folks to kind of engage in the creative process and potentially take part of the responsibility of, you know, kind of responsible representation in the media. What does that look like getting into consulting and then even the consultation process so people know if they want to actually try? (laughs) Yeah, You know, it really varies. I think there are some creators that will come to you and they know exactly what they want consultation on. And so they might hand you a script and say, look at the specific scene. I want notes on the dialogue. And then there are others where there's a concept and they want guidance around how to make that concept more authentic more socially responsible. And I think there are others that like the idea of consultation, but don't even know what they want to know. And so they just hand you a script and say, what do you think about this? And you kind of choose how deep you want to go. Like there are some times where the script is, is so raw, or you might see so many opportunities for edits that it can be discouraging to the person, you know, the creator. And so you have to kind of decide how much input you want to provide or you're being solicited. Um, 
I have a line where if there was something that I felt was morally or potentially socially harmful for people, like if it was so inaccurate that it could cause harm or damage to others, then I won't hold back. And I'll definitely say that. But I I think, yeah, I and some people also decide to specialize within their specialty. So I'm only going to consult with people that like, if someone has a, their background is in drug and alcohol counseling, they might say, I'm only going to talk to screenwriters that are looking for consultation around drug and alcohol issues in their storytelling. And I think there are some that are more generalist. So it's, it's very unique in like building a private practice where you can kind of find your niche and pick your specialty. I think there's an opportunity for that in consulting. And if somebody's looking where to start, I think a person could start with just building a website. Some people are very um, adept on social media. So having a presence on social media, I think you can do more grassroots networking, becoming involved with your local film commissions, just getting to know other filmmakers and uh, introducing yourself, saying what you, the service that you provide. There are many different avenues into it. That's very helpful. I think one of the things that you and I are both aware of too is the consultations that are like, all right, we got this character with this diagnosis. What can we reasonably get away with? That is also kind of that pushing that boundaries. How do you look at that process as opposed to kind of like, we know you off off air. We, we've known you for quite a while. We know you as a good person with good morals. And we trust you when you say that you're going to do like the good consultations. But what about those ones that push the lines <laughs> a little bit here? Yeah, I haven't had that specific example. But what I've had multiple times is a filmmaker or a studio coming to me and they're looking for the silver bullet. They have a character that... Um, has had some trauma or is struggling with a specific diagnosis or relational conflict or what have you. And they want to know what's the silver bullet one or two page scene that we can include. And sometimes not even that. Sometimes it's like, what's the five second dialogue that we can include that shows that they have worked on their mental health, they have recovered and they are thriving. And it's like, it doesn't <laughs> work that way. And that it's, I wish I could tell you that that's an anomaly, but it happens so often that um, storytellers are looking for that. And I don't try to find some quick fix to lead them to believe that there is any one isolated intervention that's going to solve all of a character's problems. I tend to be more realistic. Do you want to show the therapeutic process? Here are some dialogue that you can include, or here are some scenes if you're looking, because also filmmakers are looking visually. What does it look like? They don't always have the freedom to just put pages and pages of therapy into the text. So we'll try to, you know, look at, well, here's EMDR. And this is like one snapshot. If you have had a frame of this, what that would look like. But ultimately, if someone says we're really looking for the silver bullet of the one thing, I have to be honest. I, I don't think that that is appropriate in the context of what this character is suffering with, what the backstory is on this character. And so I can't give you a silver bullet. I think about kind of inaccurate diagnoses as really harmful, but I think also inaccurate portrayals of therapy and, and expectations of therapy, I think really hurt folks, especially those that have some pretty intense trauma and are supposed to have this silver bullet. And I know that there are 
they're in the consulting room, meaning the therapy room. I, I certainly have had folks say, I feel like I should be better right now. I should be better already. You know, it's taking me too long. And I know that part of that is the media portrayal of of these silver bullets of this, of this, like I am healed, you know, it's kind of like, what is the fast track to post post-traumatic growth? Like, how do I get there? Right. Well, but it doesn't show the whole picture. And I think it's, it's interesting because I hadn't thought about that being the thing that you would have to fight back against the most. I mean, you've said that there's times when you'll kind of, this is too egregious. This is too socially ir- irresponsible. I'm going to lay it on the line. I mean, how do you navigate that? Because it's it's something where it seems like you have to really be willing to to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. Yeah, I think sometimes you lose the job and I've been okay <laughs> to do that. And sometimes it's like a really big job and you're so excited about it. And it's a very prestigious <laughs> studio or very prestigious actors. And you just have to decide where, you know, what your personal code of ethics is around that since we don't have, you know, guidelines and boundaries as a consultant with that. And so for me, it's really been, I wouldn't want my name on something in the credits that I know to be harmful. And to me, trying to mitigate the potential risk and being proud of the portrayals is more important than the accolades of working on said project with said people. So I think be willing to walk away and don't compromise on your own integrity. If you feel, you know, your intuition tells you, Ooh, my gut feeling, I shouldn't go with this, you know, just being willing to walk away. And then as therapists, I think we know ways to be gentle about the feedback and you kind of bring a little therapy into the room where you're building that rapport and you're validating the things that are valid. And then you'd say, and you might consider this, 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 maybe you're not as far along in the script revision process as you thought you were, have you considered, and then giving them some different tools and ideas to, to consider incorporating. Shifting this a little bit from scripted TV and I'm going to air quotes around scripted here into also maybe some of like the Dr. Drew, Dr. Phil type shows of how we're being represented by professionals like that. And maybe this is an entire podcast series just on its own and (laughs) talking about this. You've got real psychology, I guess, but I guess maybe more where professionals have the potential of not just ending up in the consultation process, but maybe even a lot more so in the recording process of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't done any unscripted, I mean, apart from real psychology, which is not an advice show at all and intentionally so, because I also think that would be irresponsible to you know, be giving people advice based on the fictional characters. Uh, And I don't talk about anybody who is a real person, only completely fictional, but I've heard things over the years from, from different therapists, their personal opinions about the type of clinical work or perception of clinical work that some clinicians are doing on unscripted television. And I believe that that is a conversation worth having about how can that be either more accurately represented or not exploiting a a patient or a person's pain or suffering or the relational um, trauma that they're experiencing, which I think you do see a lot of that for, for ratings. And I think too, part of it 
probably also comes with educating studios too, because people are creating content for studios to buy into it as well. And then someone's just got to create a different successful model and see that it gets the viewership so that it gets the advertising so that it gets the ratings. And I think it could actually change the way that we do those unscripted shows. It's what our audience is going to watch. If an audience doesn't like something like their films and television shows that we were thinking about naming that we thought got it wrong, anytime we watch it, we're supporting that film in some way or that show. And so don't watch things or pay tickets for things that you feel are unethical or unresponsible because it sort of enables that to continue. Yeah, definitely voting with our pocketbooks, I think is really valid here, for sure. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. If we look at the other side, because it sounds like you you have some great examples of when this is done really well. What are some of your favorite examples of media actually not avoiding harm, but actually causing good and and having socially responsible portrayals of diagnoses or treatment that feel like it moves our field forward? There's several that come to mind. One that comes top of mind is an episode of This Is Us. It was the episode called Toby. I believe it's season three, episode five. And it shows Toby's character struggling with depression. And it also showed a bit of um, backstory where you could see that his mother struggled with depression. And then you saw as a child that he was really her caretaker and that he was trying to use humor to diffuse and deflect from all of the you know emotional pain that she was in and suffering that she was in. And then when he had his own stressors with sort of supporting his wife through multiple miscarriages and difficulties with fertility and that toll that it was taking on him and how he felt like he couldn't let her know. And he stopped taking his medication because it was affecting his sperm count and all of these different things. And they showed him going into therapy. And I think at some point using alcohol as a coping mechanism, and it just felt more comprehensive and very realistic. And we were fortunate to have the actor who played Toby, Chris Sullivan, come onto our podcast. And he talked a bit about his own mental health experience. And I think that's part of the reason too, why that portrayal was so authentic because he had been to therapy before and because he valued it and um, had a knowledge base about it, at least a general knowledge base about it. I know the writing team does a really good job at utilizing consultants too, but I would highly recommend people check that out. Of course, you can't put years worth of therapy into a 45 minute show and expect everything to be 100%. But I felt that I hadn't seen a show or a film really address that there's a multi-generational aspect to some mental health uh, conditions, and then also explore the maladaptive coping mechanisms, the, um, the stressors that exacerbate that, the triggers. And I just felt that it was a really, really great, phenomenal episode. I've heard so many good things about This Is Us. It sounds like I really have to watch the whole series and have a gigantic box of tissues nearby. Yes. 
<laughs> I I think so. It's a, it's a great show and it's coming to an end. I think this is the last season for the show. Then I'll get to binge it all at once. Yeah. That solves a lot of problems for me. <laughs> Are you seeing more or better portrayals of mental health and therapy that focus on minority or marginalized communities interactions with the therapy system as the conversations have really changed in America here in the last couple of years? Ooh. Very, very good question. There's a yes and a no for me. It's mostly no, but I can see attempts. And again, for me, this is about having, I think it will become more prevalent as we have more diversity in the writers' rooms and more diversity in the with filmmakers and film executives and studio executives. So I, I do think that right now it's pretty stereotypical what I tend to see, but I think there are some shows that are more cutting edge that do try to address it from a more um, nuanced approach. And most of those have people from marginalized communities serving in their you know, creative process, whether they're also the writers or they're d- directors or the showrunner or the creator. And so I think that's why we're seeing that. Do you see a path forward for that to get even better? I mean, to me, it seems like we're grappling with this at a pace that feels way too slow. I would agree. It's hard for me to say with certainty that it's not happening. I would agree that it feels slow, but I'm like, the totem pole here, like way at the bottom. (laughs) So who knows the conversations that they're having, you know, at the top and who they're bringing in. I think that there's more purposeful recruitment happening. And I also see people creating spaces for other marginalized filmmakers and storytellers to get a foot in the door. I think about Ava DuVernay's Array program and how it's cultivating opportunities for creators to get mentorship and feedback on their scripts and things like that. I think about Michael B. Jordan right now is filming in Atlanta and he's directing a film for the first time. And there was an article in, oh, I don't know where it was in, but there was an article about how he hired a bunch of students from a local university in Georgia to work on the film and to get experience behind the camera. And so when people do things like that and they're using their position and their platform to start to mentor and create opportunities for the next generation, I think that that will help with the problem of inaccurate representation. I think when it comes to the way that this has shown up in media and with better and better portrayals, it has addressed some of the cultural stigmas around the ways that this impacts our practices. I'm sure that we've all had clients be like, I saw this thing on a TV show that made me actually come into therapy or even just kind of like, oh, because this character ended up in therapy in, in a TV show, it made me see that it wasn't so bad. Overall, as a field, we're really having a lot more public conversations about reducing the stigma around therapy, around mental health, that this is really an opportunity to try and connect with people and breaking into some of those circles. Other tips that you might have beyond just kind of like, here's my story and trying to shout that out on Twitter to whoever's writing or whoever's potentially making the next show that you might suggest that people might try and get on kind of this groundish floor of helping to shape the way that mental health is shown in the media. Wow. I think even 
like if somebody's on social media and they want to call out a show that they felt was really supportive or helpful, I think that's one idea. They can also call out a show that they felt misrepresented them and caused distress. If something like that, I think has the potential to go viral on Twitter or Instagram and get a lot of visibility around it. And so starting to have those conversations is sometimes the the catalyst to a studio looking at improving in those areas. I think sometimes incorporating the conversations in your clinical work around some of the portrayals and representations, blogging about it, writing like an op-ed in a a magazine or your local newspaper, and then also with your dollars. Really, I think that's very important, just being cognizant of the type of content that you're investing in. And when we say guilty pleasure, like it's the thing that we all kind of laugh about, like, oh, this is my guilty pleasure, the thing that I watch. But if you know that the guilty pleasure is perpetuating a portrayal of mental health or self-image or self-esteem that is harmful, don't watch it, don't buy it don't support it in any way because again, the viewership reinforces to the people, the decision makers that this is content that is needed. And so they put more of it out. I like those ideas because it seems like it's at, at all different levels. It's as a consumer, what can we do? As a content creator, what can we do? As a therapist, what we can do, what can we do? And then if we want to move into this space, how can we enter into consulting or doing the things where we can really have an impact? Thank you, Dana. That's been so helpful. And we love, we love talking with you in this conversation. I just really have enjoyed thinking about this from a very different angle than I have before. So thank you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. I appreciate the opportunity at any time to have a conversation with you too. (laughs) Where can people find out more about you and your work? My website is calcoastalcounseling.com, calcoastalcounseling.com. It doesn't have much about the sort of creative side of my work. I'm like word of mouth as a consultant at this point, but I am launching a new website soon. People can get a hold of me through Cal Coastal Counseling. And if they'd like, they can check out Real Psychology Podcast, which I co-host with filmmaker John Lee Brody on Fireside. It's a live video podcast that airs Mondays at 2 p.m. generally. And we will include links to those in our show notes, and you can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. Follow us on our social media and join our Facebook group, The Modern Therapist Group, to talk about good portrayals in the media, bad portrayals, things that you might want to see represented And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy and Dana Davis-Williams. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 